We're continuing on our journey in the first letter to the Corinthians. Um, the Apostle Paul, we know he planted this church. And, you know, it's funny when you read through. <laughs> it's not, I don't know if you'd say it's funny. But when you read through the Bible and particularly preach through the Bible, um, we come across passages where, uh, you know, you don't really get to choose um, what you're preaching on, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, some people like to do that. I, I prefer to go through the scriptures because it challenges me to preach on a topic that I wouldn't normally like to preach on or, or w- w- maybe would prefer to skip over. And today is a little bit like one of those passages, you know, and we'll, we'll get to that. But the Apostle Paul, he planted his church um, and, he, and he'd since moved on. And I think it was um, Apollos who was looking after the ministry, doing the discipleship, and he's writing this letter Uh, to the church in response to a few reports that he'd received. So someone's come from Corinth to him, I think he's in Ephesus at the time, and and he's heard some reports, and so he writes back, and he's sort of like, gee, I've got a few concerns about the fellowship and the way um, things are going uh, for the church that I planted, and that's what the letter is. And so um, the first report he received was that there was a lack of unity in the church, right? That was the first thing that someone said to him, and he's been... We've been addressing that. He, he addresses that in the first four chapters, and, he, and he's basically saying, guys, at the end of the day, no matter what your preferences are, who you'd prefer to be leading, you know, your ethnicity and whatever else divides you, he says that that's not the case for the Christian church. He says, if we're Christ followers, we're united in him, and he's our foundation. He's the one that we're submitting to as we gather together. And so we've been talking about that for... Uh, the last few weeks and um, and then there's the second report that he gets and the second report that he receives um, it wasn't just about lack of unity but but it's it's the next great challenge that the church is facing in Corinth right and um, in Steph's message last week if you were here you would have heard her sort of tell us a little bit about um, why it was challenging why the problem existed and it was the problem of sexual immorality in the church Right, there was sexual sin, and uh, you know there was all types of sin, but this particularly was prominent in the city of Corinth, and uh, we we learnt that um, living in the city of Corinth was was kind of synonymous for being involved in in sexual sin. You know, a lot of the worship that was involved in um, in Corinth was pagan worship. There was prostitution in the temples, and and uh, you know it was very much a part of the the way of life of living there. And so, Paul starts addressing the issue, and um, and he's it's fairly abrupt the way he starts off the chapter. Okay, and so this is what he says in verse one. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of, and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Pretty shocking report to hear. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. The report that he gets is, is um, you know, something that I don't think anyone would like to hear of from any church. No leader of any church wants to hear that this sort of thing is going on. And um, you don't have to look far into the Old Testament or just sexual ethics in the Bible in general to know, yeah, this is not part of God's plan for his, for his people, for any family, that this sort of relationship would be going on. And so Paul even adds, he's like, guys, even the pagans, even the, the, the city of Corinth is like, that's not, that 
you know, it, it might have been going on, but it's not really acceptable even to them. And yet here it is happening uh, in the church, okay? And he says, and you are proud. But, you know, when we come to talking about sexual immorality and we're going to do more of this over the coming weeks, the usual thought is, okay, well, we better spend time having a conversation about what is right in God's eyes with regards to relationships and, and uh, sexuality and so on and what's wrong. And, and we, we're probably going to get there. <laughs> but today, I don't think it's Paul's initial concern, okay? He's, of course, concerned that this is happening, but, but his real concern is that um, the church doesn't even seem to care, right? The church doesn't seem to be doing anything about this. You know, they know about it. It's been reported. You know, we know word travels quickly, you know, in the church, um, probably quicker than anywhere else. And it's not that they, um, it's not that he's like sort of here to even he's not really even here to just squash this person because they're, they're caught in this sin, but he's saying, what is the church doing about this issue? <laughs> you know, he's like, why has it taken me in Ephesus to hear about this and then have to write to address it? You know, and so this is, this is a big part of what's going on here. He says in the rest of verse two, shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? He's kind of like questioning them, saying, guys, like, didn't this shock you? Didn't it send like a shock into the community and into, into your, your fellowship that this sort of thing was going on? And it would it'd be similar to us knowing that someone is carrying out some sort of sin like this, and yet they sit here and they're involved in the life of the church and, and they're maybe even a leader or something, and we just turn a blind eye. That's the sort of thing that's going on. And, and Paul's saying, guys, this is not right. You know, this is not the way it is to be part of the church. And I think part of the message God has for us today is that the church has a responsibility to deal with the issues that it's facing. And um, there's definitely right and wrong ways to go about this. I've heard stories of, you know, a pastor's um, son uh, getting his girlfriend pregnant and then the pastor brings the son up onto stage. You know, this is a, a real story I've heard and, and um, you know, he basically says, oh, my son's been caught doing this and it's, it's really bad and, and uh, we're going to, you know, carry out this punishment, X, Y, Z. It's like there's wrong ways to, to deal with issues of sin and, and uh, this sort of thing. But there's certainly right ways. And I think Paul is encouraging a right way to deal with issues in the church like this. The most important thing is that we deal with issues out of love for one another, out of a place of love, you know, out of a place of love for the person caught in the sin, out of a place of love for Christ, out of a, out of a um, com commitment to, to setting one another on a path towards Jesus. And so before we can be um, committed to correcting, because I think the initial call it, uh, or, or thought is, well, let's commit to correcting one another. But I think that's the wrong commitment <laughs> that we're making. The commitment we need to, to make is let's be committed to allowing and inviting correction into our own life first. You know, if we're not humble enough to accept that maybe, maybe there's some things I need to, to sort out in my own life, then we, we're not really ready to sort out someone else's life, okay? So there, there's, there's sort of an attitude about this, that the way the church should deal with it. 
Paul was surely upset that the man was living in sexual immorality, but what upset him even more was that his church family were not calling him to an, to an account, right? Paul is saying it's actually prideful that you thought you could get by without having to deal with this. <laughs> you know, he's like, that's not the way the church goes. Paul says, even though I'm not there physically, he's going to start doing his part and he's going to encourage the church to call them to account. And I want to read verses three to five. We're going to read it in the NIV and it's, it's pretty um, kind of difficult to understand. Then we'll read it in the message and, and get a bit more light on it. He says, for my part, even though I'm not physically present, I'm with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. He's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you it's wrong, you know, by the authority of Jesus from a distance. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. That sounds pretty harsh. Um, Let's read it in the message version and then we'll, we'll sort of comment on that idea of being handed over to Satan. I'll tell you what I would do. Even though I'm not there in person, consider me right there with you because I can fully see what's going on. I'm telling you that this is wrong. You must not simply look the other way and hope it goes away on its own. Right? That's a very easy thing for... for um, the church to do. And I don't think it's something that honors uh, God. Bring out in the open and deal with it in the authority of Jesus, our master. Assemble the community. I'll be present in spirit with you and our master Jesus will be present in power. Hold this man's conduct up to public scrutiny. Let him defend it if he can, but if he can't, then out with him. It will be totally devastating to him, of course, and embarrassing to you, but better devastation and embarrassment than damnation. You want him on his feet and forgiven before the master on the day of judgment. Right, so you can see a bit of Paul's heart at the end of the day is we've got to call these things to account um, so that we can uh, get that person back to a place of being restored before Jesus. Okay, that's the heart behind calling things to account in the church. Paul is saying the church needs times where they come together. And, you know, as I, again, part of my tension with my message today is um, I'm, I'm hearing from Paul that the church needs times where we come together and we call one another to account and we say, how are you going? What's happening in your life? You know, do you, do you need to confess do you need to share some sin that you're struggling with? Um, you know, even, even times where we, and we'll talk a bit more about this, but even times where we say, hey, I'm observing something in your life that I don't think lines up with the way of Jesus, with the disciple, um, with the way a disciple of Jesus should be living. And Paul's saying, we actually need to do that. And it's pretty difficult. <laughs> It's difficult because it's happening in our families. It's difficult because it's happening in, um, you know, our lives. And, and, uh, and yet this is what we're being called to do as a church. And, and I recognize that Sunday mornings don't feel like the time, <laughs> you know. 
They don't feel like the time for us to say, hey, you know, may- maybe some prayer after the service is a good time. You know, grab, a, grab a, someone and pull them aside and say, hey, I need prayer, I need to tell you this or whatever. But it doesn't feel like the time really on Sunday mornings. Maybe, maybe we need to come up with another time for prayer and for, for dealing with things like this. But I think Paul's saying we need to, you know. He's saying there needs to be a time where we call someone out for the way they're living if we know that it's wrong, especially if they're just continuing without any sense of change or desire to be transformed. He's saying that person, if they're unrepentant, if they're choosing to just keep going, even after we've called them out, then he's saying that person is no longer choosing to follow the way of Christ. You know, that person's no longer willing to submit themselves to the authority of Scripture. They're no longer willing to humble themselves under the direction of their local church. You know, part of being together is that humility to say, I'm willing to submit to what everyone thinks. You know, that's part of being part of the church. And he says, if that's the case, we ought to exclude them and it's pretty hard teaching it doesn't sound right because church is the place for everyone to be welcomed right and it is but at the point at which someone's saying I'm a Christian and I'm carrying on in sin and I'm doing it openly and I don't want to change that's the time where we say okay we love you and we want you to change but if you're not willing to do that it's time to move on It sounds awful, but Paul's trying to express that if we allow people to continue to claim they're a Christian and yet they openly, boldly continue to sin, then we aren't being faithful to Jesus, you know? And so these days it sounds wrong because, you know, we're all on a journey. We're all doing this this thing together and, and at different stages and levels of maturity and faith and that's all fine but being a disciple and a student of Jesus is being someone who says hey um, I accept that I'm not perfect I accept that I got room for growth and I actually want to change you know that's part of the journey of being a Christian <clears throat> it's actually part of the beauty of being together doing life together There's a way you're supposed to go about, a biblical way of confronting someone, a brother or sister in Christ. And it's, and it's um, the way that, uh, you know, if, if I see something in someone else, I want to talk to them about it. I go to them individ- as an individual and I say, hey, I'm just wondering if I can share something with you, something I'm observing. You know, that, that's, and, 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 the, and they might receive that. And they might be like, yeah, actually, that's fair enough. I need to hear that. I do want to change. You know, you're right. It, maybe they're not willing to receive it. Maybe they're like, no, you know what? I don't think you're right. And, um, and at that point, we need to ask someone else to come with us. You know, this is tried and true practices of the church throughout history. You ask an elder or a mature person, you say, hey, can we continue this conversation um, at another time? I'd, I'd like someone else to come with me just to be sure that I'm, I'm actually calling out the right thing. And if two agree, yeah, this person, they do need to change and they have that conversation and, hey, yeah, actually we do agree that there's a problem here and that person's still unwilling to repent, unwilling to change, unwilling to agree that transformation needs to take place, then what do we do? We go to the whole church. 
You know, that's, the, the, that's what the Bible teaches. And we, and we bring that person before the church and we say, hey, the church loves you. The church doesn't want to see you moving along this path. And, and we give them an opportunity again, you know. It's actually a pretty gracious thing to do, to go through this process. And if they're still unwilling to receive correction and that invitation to change, <clears throat> then uh, that's the point where we say, okay, we, we can't really accept that you're a Christian, <laughs> you know, that you're, that you're continuing on this path. You know, you can't, we can't really accept that you're going to be part of this fellowship anymore. It's not because we don't love them. It's not because we don't want to see them change or we don't care, but we've taken the time, you know, in good faith. And this could be, this could be a, a, a drawn-out time, a short time. It's different in every situation. But if they're unwilling, um, you know, to accept the correction, then something needs to change. If they're willing to accept the correction, on the other hand, if they are repentant and they accept the help that they need and, and, and they want to change, they want transformation, then that's the time where, where the church goes, okay, let, let us help you despite your sin. You know, let us help you despite the things that you're, you're struggling with. You know, of course, we, we've been helping all along, but the point at which we say, okay, you, you want to change, we're willing to do the journey with you. Okay, that's a, that's a healthy way that the church can deal with issues of sin and, and, and struggles that, that we're having in our lives. Um, I don't know if I've seen that much in my own journey as a Christian. And I wonder if it's because we don't want to share stuff, you know, that's going on. Um, not many people, I've had a few close friends point out in me things that I needed to change. And um, it's the best thing when they do, <laughs> you know. It actually frees me up to go, yeah, you're right. I've been waiting. It's almost like you've been waiting for someone to call it out, you know, and it's a beautiful thing when the church can do this. Paul says in verse 6, Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? So he goes on to talk about this um, illustration of yeast in the batch of dough, right? That's what makes the, the dough rise, makes a big loaf of bread as opposed to something a bit more thin and crispy. Um, and, uh, the pass, and, it talks, and it's relating to the Passover meal, which is, you know, if you go back in the history of God's people, um, you know, the, the, it, was, it was part of the last plague that God's people had to be protected from. The angel of death was going to sweep over Egypt and wipe out every um, firstborn uh, baby that was not protected by the blood of a lamb that was sacrificed and the blood painted on the doorposts. And then they were also to sweep out the yeast in those houses, right? They were to make bread without yeast. They didn't have time to wait for the dough to rise. They just needed to make bread and, and get out of there quickly when the time came, okay? So that, this, is, this is what Paul's starting to refer to. And so what he's saying is, he's saying, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So he's saying a little bit of sin, a little bit of yeast affects the whole dough. You know, when we don't deal with sin, when we're not willing to call out this man who's, li who's living in sexual immorality or, or whatever, 
He says that affects the church. You know, eventually this immorality rubs off. You know, it, it does work its way through the whole batch of dough. And so what he's saying is, he uses this great example out of the Passover meal. He's saying, Jesus has been sacrificed. You know, the, the, the sacrifice has been done. We've been protected, covered by the blood. Our sin is dealt with. But he's saying these, this little bit of yeast, you need to get rid of it. And one of the practices of, of, of Passover and the festival of unleavened bread um, in Paul's day was that they would go searching out for any bit of yeast in the house and they'd get rid of it, right? And so he's, he's kind of bringing this to light. He's saying, guys, it's, it's time. Jesus has been sacrificed. The yeast should be dealt with. It should be gone, you know? It shouldn't be part of the church anymore. So there's a couple of points of application. Part of this is a corporate... Uh, point and and maybe it even comes down to my own leadership in the church you know maybe it comes down to how am I leading us to uh, go into deeper times of prayer for one another go into deeper moments of accountability ask and and creating opportunities for that and I guess um, that's something certainly I could work on but individually you know, there's, there's a challenge here for us individually. Paul is challenging us to deal with the, the yeast that's present in, in, our, in, our, uh, in our lives, the sin that's present, the things that we're still struggling with. And he's saying, man, the Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Jesus went to the cross, you know. We're covered by the blood, and so it's time for transformation to occur. You know, he's kind of like sweep out the house, get rid of the yeast, Get rid of all the old bread. You know, it's time for us to live. Um, and, and what does he say about the festival? He's talking about the festival of unleavened bread. He says, therefore, let us keep the festival. And when he says, let us keep it, he's saying, continue in it. He's saying, you know, the life of a Christian is a life without sin. And it's a, con- and it's a continuing in that. And when we, when we find that sin's rearing its head, we say, hey, I've got to deal with that. You know, we don't just allow it to, to continue. So individual application, absolutely. What, what yeast are we dealing with? What do we need to get rid of? Maybe it's, a, maybe it's someone you need to have a conversation with and just say, hey, can you keep me accountable? Or you're noticing there's some yeast in someone else's life and you might like to call them out on it as well. Let's read more in verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, right? This is a previous letter. So Paul, I think, writes three letters. Someone might correct me. The first one we know nothing of. The second one is the one we're reading now, right? He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. And he says, he's kind of need, needs to uh, sort of expand on it. He says, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, you know, the, the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. He's saying, I'm not talking about people outside the church. He's like, you've got to do life with people. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, that is a, a Christian, brother or sister in, in the church, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler, do not even eat with such people. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? 
Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. So a little bit more of an expansion. And this is a great connection to what Steph was talking about last week. She used this image of, you know, um, the woman in a kitchen looking out a kitchen window. And the kitchen window is dirty. And she can see the neighbor hanging out their laundry. And she thinks the laundry is dirty when it's actually her own kitchen window, right? And one day the husband cleans the window and she goes, oh, wow, look, the the neighbor's laundry is really clean today. And he's like, no, I cleaned the window. (laughs) And so there was that great example of, um, you know, just bringing to light, you know, what, uh, you know, we need to be careful in our discerning and judgment of others, (laughs) you know. We need to be aware of our own struggles first. And what he's saying is, not talking about people outside the church, but the person who says, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a brother or sister in Christ, and they're unrepentantly continuing in sexual immorality, or, you know, there's a whole list of sins. He says, that's the person that we need to be wary of in the church. If they're unwilling to change, if we're unwilling to change, you know, maybe we're the person people need to be wary of. What is it in us that we're not willing to, to, to get the help we need to come out of and to, and to be transformed in? So, just wondering how we should close this off. Maybe um, I want to invite you to, to respond and to consider what is God talking to you about. Maybe, you you know, our our message today has brought uh, back memories of conversations you've had with people where this sort of thing has gone really well or it's gone really poorly. Maybe um, it's it's, uh, something that, you know, you're actually thinking, yeah, I I could have some help with something I'm facing, something I'm dealing with. You know, a sin that I'm struggling with and you actually say, I don't want to be unrepentant. You know, I want to sweep out the yeast. I want to get rid of it out of my life and I want some help. And the church family's response, that individual's response who you talk to, whether it's me or someone else, it's, it's got to be a loving response, you know. <laughs> and if it's not, come back to me. I'll give you a loving response, right? We're here to pull each other up out of our sin, You know, as long as we're repentant, as long as we're willing to say, I know this isn't actually what God's calling me to do, we've got all the grace in the world to give. So, it's an invitation to to step into that boldly if you want. Um, It's actually really important for us as a church to do that. And um, otherwise, let's pray. God might be speaking to you about other things, so... Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the challenge that it is. We don't want to be caught judging others, but we do want to be caught uh, discerning when a brother or sister is not living the way they ought to live, not living in a way that honors you. And we want to look um, and consider our our own lives first, and we want to say we want to honor you. And that the bit of yeast in our life, Lord, that little bit that can work its way through our, through our church and through our whole life, we want to, um, we want to ask that you'd help us to, to get rid of it. We thank you for your son, Jesus, 
who's died on the cross. He's been our Passover sacrifice. You know, he's, he's covered us by his blood. We're free from the bondage of sin. You know, it no longer has power. We can get, we can get through the, the, the Red Sea into the promised land. Um, and the power for that is, is in your son Jesus on the cross, and we praise you for that, God. But, but now we want to say, okay, transform us. Help us to live in that truth. Help us to actually walk into, into freedom. Not freedom that, that just gives us a cheap grace that says I can do what I like, but freedom that says, look at what, look at what you've done in me. Uh, look at the change that you're bringing about in my life. And help us to be gracious with one another in this. Help us to be um, a community of grace, a community where we, where we say, it's okay. Um, we, we, we can change. Jesus wants to change, change you. So Lord, with all of this, we ask for your help. We thank you for the fact that there's hope to get out of sin and addiction and struggle. And we thank you that, um, you know, you gave us the church, the body of Christ to, to journey with. Brothers and sisters who can pull us up when we're, when we're down in the, in the dumps. And um, Lord, teach us how to do that better. Give us opportunities outside of Sunday morning and help our Sunday mornings to be a time where, where this thing becomes more natural where we go a bit, little bit deeper in our conversation and, and we check in on one another and we, and we pray for one another. So help us with that, Lord. Uh, we submit ourselves to you and we're, and we're thankful to be together in your name. And um, yeah, we just pray this in your precious name. Amen. <laughs>